Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Two thousand sixteen continues to be the year of the unthinkable materializing. Today we talk about the UK's unprecedented decision to leave the European Union. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Thanks for listening, guys. We're back with a new episode of Pantsuit Politics, and we want to continue to encourage everybody to leave iTunes reviews, not just the ratings with the stars, but the reviews. They really help other people find Pantsuit Politics, and we're rising in the news and politics rankings, which is very exciting and helps more people join our community and more people be introduced to nuanced political conversation, which is so rare these days. So first up in the pearls, we're going to talk about the end of the Democratic House sit-in, which ended after 24, 25 hours after beginning. And so now the House is on recess until July 4th. So I'm wondering, Sarah, how you're feeling at the end of this. I know you were super excited about it. We, you know, we spent quite a bit of time on this in our last episode. With it having ended, where are you today? Well, I'm still feeling energized, you know, sort of as the base that was appealing to. I am bummed that it is being seen in sort of such a negative 
light by other people, unfortunately. I, I, I really didn't want it to further polarize people, but I still maintain that on that particular issue, I'm really not sure what choice they had except to do something sort of out there because it was it's like set in concrete that issue and we weren't getting nowhere and so I'm I'm and they're they're saying they're going to do it again when they get back unless there's a vote so I don't know I saw a poll this morning that shocked me so I was watching Meet the Press and they showed some poll numbers where people were just asked do you think the government will go too far or not far enough as it relates to gun control and today more people think there's a risk of the government going too far than not far enough. And that is dramatically different than when this poll was taken in 1995. And I was thinking back about all of the things that have happened since 1995 that you would think would drive the government hasn't done enough sentiment. But I think that it's easy for us to underestimate the fear people have about government intrusion on their rights. And that, to me, highlights some of what I tried to say about the sit-in, which is the more extreme the momentum toward gun control gets, the more extreme the resistance to gun control gets. But at what point do we have to hold the NRA responsible for this? I mean, at what point do we say, and I'm talking about the polarization on the issue, like I don't really think people feel that way because Democrats are pushing so hard for gun control. From where I sit, the ass gets smaller and smaller every year, and we still go nowhere. And so I don't really understand the idea that, like, you know, pushing for gun control is why we're so polarized. Is it? Because it seems to me like why we're so polarized is because the NRA perpetuates you know, this idea that people are trying to take, you know, the Democrats are trying to take everybody's guns away, which is could not be further from the truth. Well, I think it couldn't be further from the truth, except that there are enough references to buyback programs. I think people feel it would just set off a slippery slope. And recognizing that that is, you know, a logical fallacy. (laughs) I think that I understand the concern. It's not where I am, you know, and I I am trying to maintain my nuance about this issue and bring something different to the table than just, yeah, we should do this. (laughs) Because, you know, as we've talked about, I'm I'm not a great advocate around gun control. I, I get the concern, though. I get the fear. As far as the NRA is concerned, you know, like I said in our Friday episode, I think the NRA goes too far in a lot of ways. But I don't blame the NRA as much as I blame our legislators, because they're the people with the power and the responsibility to take care of these problems. Well, I'm not going to debate that, that's for sure. Well, the news slowed down, I mean, sort of. And that if there's just one major story we're going to talk about coming up in the suit, that we thought we could do a state of the race update with regards to the presidential election. Yeah, depending on what poll you look at. But both polls show a major drop for Donald Trump without a corresponding gain for Hillary Clinton. But in one poll, Hillary Clinton appears to be up by double digits. In another, the separation looks to be four to five points. So it's a really interesting time to be thinking about polling, especially in light of the Brexit story that we're going to discuss in the suit. The other thing that's come up in the race is, I don't know why we're talking about religion so much all of a sudden, but Donald Trump has sort of questioned Hillary Clinton's faith, and now we have Dr. James Dobson out there saying that Donald Trump is like a baby Christian, like he's had a recent sort of conversion. 
to evangelical Christianity. I saw Paul Manafort interviewed about that this morning, and Paul Manafort was basically like, uh, you can talk to Donald Trump about his faith, but what I'll tell you is that he has, you know, broad coalition of support that includes evangelical Christians. I am so grossed out by this. I agree with that. First of all, let me just be abundantly clear. I don't like James Dobson at all and have not for a very long time. Fun fact, was on a James Dobson radio program when I was still an evangelical Christian after the shooting at my high school. He was a part of the media that felt perfectly comfortable exploiting that ser- that story for his content purposes. That's not the only reason I don't like him. I got a lot of long- I got a long list and I'm adding this to it. I mean, come on, does anybody buy the sincerity of the story? Anyone at all, unless it just serves the purpose to reinforce what you want to believe so that you don't have to vote for Hillary Clinton. Like, I just, who who believes either Donald Trump or James Dobson in this story? I just don't think it's good for us to be having this conversation. I really don't. And I understand that people's faith or lack thereof is important to some voters, and I'm not going to argue about that because... I might as well argue about whether the sky is blue, right? Like I can be annoyed by reality or I can accept reality as it is. I think, let me be clear, I think people's values and sense of integrity are essential. I do not like religious tests. I would happily vote for a Muslim for president. You know, I like I don't have any kind of litmus test around religion for office. And I would also happily vote for an atheist who appeared to be a person of integrity and value and who could do a good job in the office. So I just don't like this whole conversation. That said, we're having it. I don't get how this helps Trump in any way, though, because it seems completely opposite of his, no, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to tell it like it is thing. And telling it like it is for Donald Trump, I think he did early on in just saying like, you know, I'm a Presbyterian. That's pretty middle of the road. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I think that was like an, a, a much more credible way to tackle this issue. I don't know. It just gets bleaker, doesn't it? Yes. And I think that what really bothers me is I feel pretty confident saying that the people that have questioned Obama's Christianity for eight years and accused him of being a Muslim are going to act with shock and disdain if anyone questions the authenticity of Trump's recent conversion. And that's what really bothers me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that could be true. Absolutely. Like, that's definitely a thing that's going to happen. If it hasn't already, and I just haven't witnessed it because I don't watch Fox News. I just, come on. If you don't, if you're not comfortable with somebody saying, which I'm sure is true, like, you could, I can possibly believe that Trump has this recent conversion. Like, he's like, Paul on the road to Damascus. Give me a break. And, And if he is, hooray, but don't trade in that politically. I, yeah, that's that's what grosses me out. Right. Trying to capitalize on this kind of thing. It really frustrates me. Well, and, you know, we haven't discussed this in depth because there's just so much happening. But I mean, he's had a lot of stories. He's had the big New York Times. I would say it's a bombshell that basically he has no money and no staff compared to other presidential campaigns at this point in the process. And. Side note, I feel like the New York Times is just quietly off to the side reporting the heck out of Donald Trump and his relationship with women and Trump University and his like he, they're just out there. They're not there's no New York Times pundits. Well, maybe there are. I don't watch cable news out there, you know, mouthing off a lot. They're just like, here's a new story. Here's more information, more information on Trump over here, guys. 
I think it's really well done reporting, too. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel biased in any way to me. It feels like facts. Yeah. Um, I thought this story on women was a great example of that because for all of Donald Trump's complaints about it, I thought it was a very balanced story. It included a lot about how he had promoted women within his companies, how he recognized women as great corporate leaders. You know, if you wanted to just slam him, there was a lot that would have been omitted from that story. So I find them to be the most authoritative, credible voices on all the aspects of the campaign that they've covered so far. So hats off to New York Times. Yeah, paper of record. Keep it up, New York Times. And also, I I don't really think the only part that's because this came out and then she did the speech on his economic policies, which I thought was so great. But there's even a part of me that's like and I've seen several stories about this. Like I just there's a part of me that's like, is everybody doing such a good job? He's going to quit. I mean, he's off in Scotland opening up golf courses. Not what you should be doing right now, friend. I thought this thing in Scotland was so odd. It was Great, I I think, for him to be in Scotland around this Brexit vote. Like, that's just, that shows his uh, finesse in the media cycle, right? But I don't know. The fact that he kind of said, hey, good job, Great Britain, good luck to you. And let me tell you about the view from my lighthouse suites. Well, and they were like, did you bring, have you talked to your foreign policy advisors? And he was like, about what? Nothing's happening. Sorry? Huh? What are you talking about? But, you know, I think to the Trump supporter who's already with him, I don't think they are going to see a problem with any of this, right? Because the United States is too involved in the world already. So isn't an appropriate response like, good luck to you, Great Britain, but we're not all that worried about it. And he's a businessman and we're totally cool with him being a businessman. That's what he's supposed to do. I mean, I think he's just positioned himself in a place where the people who are with him are going to be with him through those things. Now, how an independent reads him standing there, you know, selling hotel rooms in the midst of what could set off global chaos in a lot of ways. I don't know. It doesn't seem to be favorable, but it's not, again, it's not that I think he's Teflon. It's just that I think that the people who with him, who are with him like him so much that they can spin all of his bizarre behavior. The one thing that I do want to say about the fundraising, it's it's so interesting to watch the coverage of that because from my perspective, If Donald Trump is to make a positive contribution that lasts to our politics, it could be his success despite the lack of fundraising, right? Showing us a model where you don't have to spend what equates to the GDP of a small country to win the White House in America. Well, but sneak peek to our interview with Fred Davis, I thought one of the best points he made, which was that he just had such incredible high name recognition when he started. So he's such a unique animal. Like, no, I don't think another person who doesn't have, who hasn't built, who hasn't been an American figure for three decades in the public eye could have shown up and do, you know, have done it on that level. Also, I think it's interesting that he, yeah, he hasn't been spending that much, but 10% of it's been going back to his business corporation. So... Yeah, the, I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays, too. I think there are people who will say, well, that's fine because he self-funded everything. So yeah, that's just the didn't. cheap way to do he it. He took donations. <laughs> and he has said, you know, he wishes that he didn't have to count and he wishes he didn't have to pay himself for those things. I mean, I think there are some people who are going to see that as as intelligent uses of resources. Yeah. 
So it's continues to be crazy. And I heard, um, I, I caught a little bit of the George Stephanopoulos show this morning, and I think it was Greta Van Susteren who was on there saying, really, we should all just kind of pause because the debates are going to be a bigger deal than they've ever been. Yeah. And this all kind of starts over when the debates start. Yeah, because everybody's going to be watching. Yeah, I think everybody's going to be watching. Yeah, for sure. It's. I think it's going to be crazy. I mean, I think the conventions will be really interesting. But I thought she had a really great point about people want to see the two of them side by side, answering the same questions and make some decisions. Yeah. Who is, I mean, it's just so mind-blowing to me that there are people who, like, haven't made up their mind yet. Well, I think it's just an indicator that there are so many people unhappy with both choices that choosing the lesser of the two evils is is complex to them. And I know that you are outraged by the proposition that they could be equally bad choices, but that's where some people are. And I think they they may find the debates useful. Yeah, I understand that. So let's go down the ballot a little bit because we we got on a roll for a while of trying to highlight some interesting races other than the presidential election in November. And then the news just kept happening and we sort of got away from that. So thank you for a slower couple of days news cycle uh, so that we can get back to this. I want to talk a little bit about the Bruce Poliquin, Emily Kane race in Maine. This is for the House of Representatives. What's interesting to me about this race is that it's a rematch. So Kane ran against uh, Poliquin in 2014, and she lost by five percentage points. And he is now 62. She's in her 30s. So it's kind of just an interesting dynamic, right? Young woman, older guy, you know, Maine is a really interesting, it's just an interesting place politically. I haven't studied Maine politics too much, but everything I've read about Maine, it's just a fascinating place. And now you don't have a gubernatorial race on the ballot, which you did the last time they ran. There isn't any kind of popular uh, referendum on the ballot, but you do have this bizarro presidential race. And so it's just when you had five points separating them, plus an independent in the race in 2014, who is not in the race this time, you have to wonder how this one will shake out. It is, it, it is anticipated to be the most expensive race in Maine's history. Wow. That's just what we need, more expensive races. Yeah, both parties, though, see this as an opportunity, and the Republicans are pretty committed to supporting him, and the Democrats think they can pick him off. So we'll see how this one goes. Well, before we move on to the Brexit discussion in this suit, we'll take a second to compliment the other side. I hope at this point mine seems obvious. I hope everybody's seen the no- news that George Will... Well, wait, does it clear- Does this count as me complimenting in person from the other side of George Will has changed his registration from Republican to Independent? He's I'll, still conservative. It I'll counts. allow it, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> um, changed his party affiliation because he said he could not remain a Republican with Republic- with Donald Trump as the head of the Republican Party. Now, you, we texted about this, and you think this will touch off a, a, a flight of Republicans from the party. I think, it, I think it very well could, because there are so many people who are George Will-esque, who have been very vocal about their inability to support Donald Trump. This sort of irritates me, to be honest with you, because I think that it conflates a bunch of issues. The idea that you have to support the top of the ticket every time or you cannot be a member of the party is the opposite of nuance to me. 
I think that I, and look, I am mortified to have an R next to my name when I think about Donald Trump as our presidential nominee. However, I want to vote in primaries. I, I, all the things that we say all the time, right? You need to be nuanced. You need to cross the aisle sometimes. And you can do that without being some kind of traitor to your party. You need to care about the down ballot. You need to try to make progress within the system sometimes. This just seems, I don't know, just kind of, it seems like kind of having a tantrum to me and walking away instead of an intellectually sound and reasoned decision. And the other thing that bugs me about it, people like George Will are not faultless in creating the circumstances that led to the rise of Donald Trump. Now, I'm not... that is true. I'm not blaming George Will for Donald Trump. Like, I don't want to take that to an extreme. But conservative commentators, for the vast most part, have been pushing the party to the right for a long time and have been pushing extreme positions for a long time. And maybe in George Will's worldview... Uh, You do have to vote for the top of the ticket in order to be a Republican. I guess that does match the other sort of litmus test a lot of people in the conservative intelligentsia and media have have put forward. But it I just don't I don't respect it a whole lot because I think we should all claim responsibility for the situation in which we find ourselves, just as I take responsibility. and, And I think all of us who are moderates within the party own a piece of Donald Trump's rise because we've sort of kept quiet for a long time. So we should all say, here's why we got here. We're all part of that. Now let's get out of it because that's what's good for America. I don't know. Well, the only thing I would say is, you know, George Will doesn't have a lot of sort of pragmatic options as far as things he can do. You know, he's not a legislator. He's not a politician. He's a thought leader. And I think that to somebody like him who really, even if he, you know, hasn't come out as strong as he should. I mean, I've always seen George Will as sort of a person that classic sort of Reagan Republican who really will. I don't read all his stuff, but I I don't know if and I can't speak to it definitively that he's taken the stance as he should have during when some of the more extreme factions of the party took control. And I'm sure I could read things that he wrote that made me mad. I don't know. I just think when you're when you're sort of. A columnist and a thought leader, your options are slim. And to do something this big and say, look, at some point, you know, it's this conversation I always have about Trump. At some point when it's so racist and it's so sexist and it's so crazy, you have to do something big to say, I have to draw on the line, a line in the sand somewhere or else this becomes our new normal. And then what if the next person goes even further? And so I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not totally opposed to... As as with regards to the Democratic Senate, symbolic gestures. And when you say, I have to do something big to get people's attention and say this is not okay. So, Yeah, I, I definitely think it mirrors our feelings about that. And, and, I mean, I share the sentiment. I mostly really respect George Will. I'm still a little bit mad at him, candidly, for his comments about rape culture as sort of mm. a figment of feminist imagination. And there, there are just some things that, that have really bothered me. And this comes on the heels of me considering those things. but So going back to the sit-in, my compliment this week is for Brad Ashford of Nebraska. He's a representative uh, Democrat. I don't know a lot about Brad Ashford, but I appreciated that his office said that he set out the sit-in because 
set out the sit-in. That's a that's a lovely turn of phrase. Um, he set it out because he doesn't support either party shutting down Congress on any issue. And I agree with that. One of our listeners on Twitter said to me, I, you know, I hear all of your points, but Republicans have shut down the government to make a point. And I said, amen to that. I don't agree with that either. I think that's awful. I think that's a to- I think it's worse. It's a total abdication of your responsibilities as legislators. So, you know, I, I appreciated that. I think it would take incredible courage if you were a Democratic representative to not participate in that activity out of principle. Now, we can be cynical about the reasons that he that he says this. Right. But putting all of that aside, uh, I I like someone kind of standing up and saying, no, the process is important. Right. I agree. So we're going to talk now. Speaking of process. About the referendum in the United Kingdom and sort of what happened and what it means from here. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. 
You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Brexit is the best nickname for a political referendum ever. It's pretty good. I wish that maybe we could stop thinking it's so hilarious that now we have to come up with what every state here would do if they chose to succeed. But uh, yeah, it's definitely catchy. And that seems to be a good like substantive point, too, because advertising and the way that the Leave and Remain campaigns were marketed had a real impact here. Yeah, definitely. So let's just kind of go through the very high level quick summary of what happened. Because um, you and I both Googled what is the EU before this show started. <laughs> so European Union is a you know consortium of European nations who came together post-World War II. Really, Winston Churchill was one of the first people to suggest this idea. And I, I think what he suggested might have gone even even further than the EU does. But there are there are trade implications. There are immigration implications. You know, the, the EU allows people to move freely through European countries. There's a currency. There's a parliament. You know, there, there's it, it is close to the United States, right? It's sort of this affiliated group of sovereign nations that have come together. So a growing movement in the United Kingdom, the UK Independent Party, uh, started winning elections and and made the point that, look, we're sending all of our money outside of the United Kingdom, and what do we really get back for it? And everything is being governed for us from Brussels, and we don't have enough direct representation in Brussels. And so they started to gain a little bit of traction uh, David Cameron, in his reelection, promised to put it to the ballot because people have this concern. I think he thought there was absolutely no way the country would vote to leave the European Union. So he said, you know what, we'll vote on it. And so seriously, he, he won. So angry when I learned this part about the story. He won reelection. And so the time came for everyone to vote on it. And I think that at the beginning he still felt there was no way that that people would vote to leave. And as the campaigns wore on, people started to get nervous. They called in, um, they kind of did a phone a friend to President Obama who went over and expressed the importance to the United States of Great Britain as an ally and Great Britain as a part of the European Union. Tons of advertising guys from the original the original Top Gear guys, you know, talked about how important it was to remain with the European Union. And as the votes started coming in, I was glued to my television because it was 50-50 over and over and over again. And you could tell that it was going to be very close. And by the time I fell asleep with the sleep timer on the TV, <laughs> because I really couldn't turn it off, the vote to leave was starting to creep ahead. And that's where they ended up. Well, as we all, you know, no, I was pretty dismissive of this on previous fancy politics episodes. I was like, nah, never going to happen. Because I really didn't think it was, and I obviously wasn't alone. I'm furious that this was a stupid campaign promise. If you can't win without appealing to people's fear, don't run. 
Like, seriously, David Cameron? And once I found that out, J.K. Rowling had tweeted a couple things, like, Cameron's legacy will be splitting up two empires or something. And I really couldn't, I, I had no context for what she was talking about. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, this is what she's talking about. They didn't have to have the stupid vote. It was him. Mm. So we have a listener who is from Northern Ireland, and she left a comment on our Facebook page that we thought we would read because she gives a really nice summary, I think, of how a lot of younger people in Great Britain are viewing this issue. She said this referendum was a punt by David Cameron so he could win the last general election. He thought the Remain vote was a sure thing. Boris Johnson only joined the Leave campaign because he wants to be prime minister and it was the fastest way to usurp Cameron. The Leave campaign lied to the voters, offering empty promises and no real plan for after an exit. The Remain campaign couldn't make the facts sexy enough, plus the EU is not exciting. The UK arguably has the best deal among the EU members, but because the EU's impact is invisible, you only hear about it when there is controversy. Now the Leave campaign is going back on some of its promises and stalling invoking Article 50, which starts the clock on EU exit negotiations. And just a side note here, my understanding is that under Article 50, there are two years, there's a two-year period to negotiate the terms of an exit from the EU. This result, this I'm going back to her comment now, this result may, may cause the UK to split. Scotland may have another vote for independence, as 62% of them voted to remain. There are also calls for a border poll in Northern Ireland, my home, asking to reunite with the Republic of Ireland, as 56% voted remain. This could re-spark the Northern Ireland troubles. What is sad is that a lot of Leave voters will be the first hit by the effects of Brexit. They voted to turn back the clock to when manufacturing, steel, and coal were dominant in the UK, but that time does not exist anymore. A lot of young people feel like the older generation have sold us out. We overwhelmingly voted to remain. We feel betrayed. Mm. Well, and she commented on a post uh, in which I shared a really good New York Times article, Brexit in Europe's Angry Old Men where it talked about that it was a victory for people who neither had the guts nor the imagination to take on the downside of globalization. Yes, globalization and Europeanization has taken their tolls, both on traditional forms of democracy and on traditional job security. But instead of tackling these problems, the fair gays of the world have started the next ideological war. And I really think that that was so insightful and so on point for what was happening here like it's i think the reason it wasn't sexy to sell the european union is because it's not perfect and it's flawed and it has real problems just like globalization in america and you know but that doesn't mean we can time travel y'all and that's what i really feel like is sort of you know make america great again that's what that's promising right to go back into time to where Everybody thought things were easier and simple, but a huge portion of the population was left out, first of all. And second of all, it wasn't like that. And it doesn't even matter if it was. We can't go back there. It's not going to happen. And Brexit isn't going to make it happen any more than, in my opinion, electing Donald Trump would. I was interested in how simple the ballot was for this movement. And in some ways, I really admired it because it was a ballot that anyone could pick up and understand. Do you want to stay? Do you want to leave? Was it too simple? Is that why people were Googling, what's the European Union? (laughs) So that's part of what I wanted to talk about, because when you think about the anger that motivated people to check the leave box, is that anger about immigration? Is it about trade policy? Mm -hmm. Is it about the fact that our dollars are leaving our borders? You know, there are so many 
motivators that are really critical to understanding when you think about negotiating an exit that gives people what they thought they were voting for. And, and so I watched the process of this with some fascination, especially because I just had a really interesting lunch with, uh, with a couple of people here locally. And in the course of that lunch, one person said kind of offhandedly, like, you know, I wish that we weren't a representative democracy. I wish that we had constitutional conventions and we just put everything to a vote. I'll pick up my smartphone and vote on different issues. And I thought that was such a fascinating perspective. It's not mine at all, but I thought it was really interesting. And that's sort of what happened here, right? Like we have this giant decision with ramifications that are really difficult for anyone who doesn't live in this, live in the political world every single day to understand. And and we just sort of put it to the public and and it's like, now what? Because we don't really know what the public was trying to say other than we don't like this today. Well, and let me say this as nuanced as possible. <laughs> I'm going to try really hard so that I don't sound crazy. I don't want that cell phone situation. I am, and you know I love tech, but I'm just not a fan of um, referendums. That's not to mean I'm not a fan of democracy, but I mean, the example I always think of is because California loves itself a referendum. Lord help me. That That state is voting on something every other minute. And what I remember is like probably it was a little bit after Proposition 9 um, passed, which is a whole problem unto itself. But L.A. had this crazy expensive high school built. Do you remember this? It was like Robert Kennedy High School. They just finished it. It had some like billion dollar movie theater and sports. And it was like this super, super expensive, nice high school. Only problem. California was broke at the time. And... I was like, what happened? And then guess what happened? It was a referendum. It was a, hey, do you want this $900 million high school for your kids? Yes, I do. Check yes. I mean, that's, it sounds like such a great idea, but governing is really not about just polling. That's not what's happening, right? It, there's, it's more complex than that. Governing is nuanced. It's checking our resources. It's checking how these decisions affect people. The minority. It's about a lot of different factors and just saying, what do y'all want to do next is really not a strategy and it's not a smart way to govern. I'm just not a fan. Well, I think that it'll be really interesting to see what happens now because David Cameron, instead of invoking Article 50 and starting that clock for negotiations, has said, peace out guys so he's resigning as prime minister and there has to be a new leader now parliament also has to adopt the results of this referendum it's not binding well and i read that scotland and ireland basically have to approve it and they voted if anybody follows (laughs) donald trump's twitter feed uh to remain in so i don't know i think that i think it's likely that the new leader will be like oh well we asked scotland ireland they have to prove it they said no so no go so it's possible that that this never really happens. It's also possible that it happens, but that all of the things that motivated it happening get negotiated away. Because it's hard to imagine everybody getting a new passport and people from... So, so you have this side of like, I don't want people coming into our country. 
okay, but you want to go into theirs, right? Like the ability to travel freely throughout Europe is a very big deal. And it's a very big deal to young people, which is why they voted voted to remain in. Like I saw a lot of t-shirts that said, like, I'm not British, I'm European. It was really interesting. And to our listener Kiki's point, you know, there is money flowing back into the United Kingdom. It's just probably, it's sort of like government funding for things. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And I think that there could be some real implications if any of that funding gets pulled away. So there could be an exit negotiated that doesn't really address immigration. There could be an exit negotiated that involves Great Britain entering into and, and ratifying all of the treaties that they were part of as a European Union member. And now they're going to be part of them as sovereign Great Britain. You know, what did the people want? I guess that's the most interesting point of this to me. I think that's right. And that feels very much like what's going on in the United States right now. The people know that they don't like what's happening today. But what they want is kind of a mystery. The CEO, I hate to keep referring back to Meet the Press this morning, but it was a good one. And you know how I feel about Chuck Todd. The CEO (laughs) of uh, the International Rescue Committee... Is that right? IRC? Yeah. Was on Meet the Press. And he said, populism is very popular until it gets elected. And Mm -hmm. then it has to actually govern. Govern. And that's where everything breaks down. Yeah. And I think that, I, I just think that the best part for me and why that column really appealed to me is just the acknowledgement that what we've had in conversations over and over again but I thought that piece did a really good job of putting together the nuanced position of, you know, we, we all double down on our sides. Globalization's terrible. Globalization's awesome. Well, maybe we should just say, yeah, we understand. You're right. Parts of globalization have been really terrible. And parts of these trade agreements have been really terrible. But the answer is not to just shut it all down. Like, let's work together on a solution in which and helping the communities that feel abandoned by these, not just saying... We want to go back in time. It doesn't work like that. To me, the big point is complexity because I can fully understand how if if the United States were part of some block of countries and we felt that all of the major decisions that impacted our lives were being made outside the United States, I can see thinking... Now, what's this about? We're a sovereign nation and I want to be a sovereign nation. I want to be closer to my representatives. It's sort of my reasons for being a Republican, right? I want more local problem solving. I can understand the instinct to exit the EU. I think that it is wrong to have a campaign about something that has all of these layers without getting really specific about what this means and how it is to be done. That's what bothers me. The complexity we haven't even touched on is the historical importance of the European Union, the fact that a big, huge problem that many um, people who wanted to leave the Union had was with immigration, and just sort of the historical component of, do we all remember when we were blaming one group for all the problems in Europe and what happened? And that's why we have the European Union, not to mention Britain's incredibly strong role in forming the European Union. Like... It's really not just a... The truth is the European Union wasn't formed just because of globalization. It was formed to prevent world wars when which millions of people died. And so it's really not, you know, about your pocketbook. Let's have a, have a historical perspective about why this was important and why we want it to remain. I don't want another world war. I don't want everyone in Europe to decide that 
Muslims are to blame for all their problems. That ended badly last time. And so I don't, yeah, there just seems to be a total, if I was a marketer in charge of the Remain In campaign, half of my campaign would have been about the future and young people and why they support this, but half of it would have been about the past and why Remaining In isn't just about looking forward, but it's about acknowledging where this came from and selling, you know, the importance of preventing these sort of conflicts in the future. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you.
I agree with that. And and that's what I mean. I think if you are going to campaign for leave or remain, you need to be really specific. What are the security implications? What are the trade implications? What are the immigration implications? The idea that this is just, do you love being British or not, is really insulting to the people of Great Britain and unworthy of them. And I think the interesting thing about talking about this on a show that is really about U.S. politics is that we have this same kind of dynamic going on in our race. We were just talking about whether or not Donald Trump is a born-again Christian. Like, what a ridiculous subject when you think about all of the things that are happening in our country. But we don't have any specific policy to talk about because, as Kiki said about the Remain campaign in, in Great Britain, that's not sexy enough. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just that is there are three things for me about this. The complexity of the issues, the intergenerational dynamics, which I think are fascinating and polling and the fact that this result seemed to come way out of left field. And what and I think that is so closely related to the generational issues you see so many times now on American television polls that are conducted in partnership with SurveyMonkey or or whatever. I think that we are forgetting what a giant population of baby boomers and older are out there. Those folks vote. Mm -hmm. They vote. And they're not, I think, getting captured in all of our polls. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the conversation about these generational gaps is going to come to a head. I don't know what form that's going to take, but this is why I think you can't count Donald Trump out yet, because I think there are so many people in the United States in that older generation. And that's not to say that, of course, not to say that every baby boomer is a Trump supporter, right? Like, I mean, that that's ridiculous. But I think there are a lot of people in the older generation. This is why Fox News is so successful who feel really strongly, they're very informed, they're very engaged, and they're not going to get caught in a survey monkey poll. Yeah. Well, Brexit, here's hoping that everybody dawdles and delays and it doesn't happen. (laughs) But that we all take the lessons learned just the same. Yeah, I don't know what that looks like exactly. I don't know what happens if it doesn't happen. Because it's the same question that I had about what if the Republican Party denied Trump the nomination? What do you do when the public has spoken? Even now that the public is expressing regret, how, how do you... I mean, that's to your point about why sort of direct democracy is a scary thing. <laughs> because mm-hmm. you have decisions made without context or perspective, followed perhaps by regret and, and very little stability. So there is a petition circulating for a second referendum. Yeah, and um, it, like, crashed the website. So many people tried to sign it. So I, I don't know what happens here, but it's something to be watched and learned from here in the United States for sure. Definitely. So next up in the hills, we're going to be talking about a few upcoming and current summer movies. Well, Sarah, we went to see Independence Day, The Resurgence. Well, I did not know that existed until three days ago, P.S. Apparently, we wanted to feel old. (laughs) I only saw it because they were advertising it on online. I was catching up with Unreal, which, P.S., everybody should watch it so good. It's like a lifetime show drama about, like, the producers of The Bachelor. 
like a Bachelor-esque show anyway. It's really good. And they were advertising it, and I was like, holler, what? I did not know this was a thing. It's been 20 years since the first Independence Day. No, that's wrong. Check your math again. (laughs) I agree. And the kid who was Will Smith's son in the first Independence Day is now, like, the hero of the story. No. No. I know. Fortunately, Vivica A. Fox still looks amazing, and she's in it, and she makes me feel a little bit better about the aging process. A (laughs) tiny bit better. So we go see it, and I'll just, I don't want to talk a whole lot about that movie, because really all I can say is that it makes the first Independence Day look like a masterpiece of subtlety and restraint. (laughs) That's hilarious. It is so ridiculous. But it was Friday night, and you know my how I want sort of bubblegum kind of entertainment, and so it was... Why didn't you go see Finding Dory? Yeah, well, you know, we didn't take the kids. Like, it was just my husband and I. It, it was fun. It was fine. But it was really bad. Okay. What I wanted to talk about, though, is we're in the theater. It's it's Friday night in Cincinnati, Ohio, right? There are all kinds of people out for a summer blockbuster-type movie. So we get, you know, some ice cream. We sit down in our seats. And the first preview comes on. Wait a second. Your movie theater sells ice cream? Oh, yeah. And this movie theater also, let me tell you, has um, recliners. Every single person in the theater is in a recliner. That is the way to see a movie. Oh, I hate you right now. Sorry. You'll have to come up sometime. So we get our ice cream. We sit. Preview comes on. The Democratic Party promises economic prosperity and protection of civil rights. But is that true? And I look at Chad like, what is happening right now? (laughs) And then it starts talking about how Democrats were pro-slavery. And it goes on and on. And I keep looking at Chad like, what is happening? And then it gets to Hillary Clinton and talks about what happens if these, you know, criminal demagogues take over the White House. This is the longest preview I've ever seen. I had never heard of Hillary Clinton's America, which apparently is like an actual movie where they have a preview in just everyday movie theaters before movies like Independence Day. I mean, what? It was crazy. And you could hear like audible discomfort in the movie theater with how outlandish this preview was. And I'm saying this as a Republican, but it was just so over the top and so... I don't know, misplaced. Like, you don't go to a movie theater for that sort of beat me over the head with your partisan conspiracy theories. It was really, really something. So this movie is from Dinesh D'Souza, who, surprise, I do not enjoy. He also had a film in 2012, 2016, Obama's America. He's clearly working on a theme. And it's all, you know, conspiracy theories Democrats are out to destroy America. Here's a depressing side note. Obama's America was the film with the highest grossing conservative documentary film produced in the United States. That's great. In two, Oh, this is fun. In 2014, D'Souza was indicted on charges of making illegal, illegal political contributions to a 2012 Senate campaign, a felony under U.S. law. Uh, he's just, this is his shtick. It's, I mean, whatever. I can't stand the guy, but I'm probably not the most nuanced person to be commenting on his career. And also, that's not, it's not untrue that the Democratic Party has a terrible history with race. But Hillary Clinton is no spring chicken, but she wasn't alive during slavery. Like, she had nothing to do with that. You know, like, this, the, the idea that she would be a part of this mass cons- conspiracy to 
I don't even know what. Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't do it. Well, I couldn't do it either, especially in a movie theater on a Friday night. And I yeah, think seriously. that the, the big takeaway for is me, no place sacred. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Is no place sacred. And why do we just keep moving in this? It just felt like the opposite of the direction that we need to go and that people want to go. I mean, you could just feel everyone was like worn out by yeah. the time this preview was over because can we just stop? Can we stop this? Can we not just one, leave the politics out of independence day research. And two, can we, can we just say like, I loved what John McCain said about Barack Obama when the the woman asked him the question about believing that Barack Obama was, you know, secretly anti-America. And he said, no, ma'am, he is a very good American and a patriot and a person with whom I seriously disagree. That's the answer. Let's just let that be the tone of our politics. And because I guarantee that any pollster sitting in that movie theater Friday night would have found that everyone left thoroughly disgusted by that trailer. Well, and can I just say this? I had an exchange on Facebook, and here's the problem. I have lots of exchanges on Facebook, but this one in particular is illustrative. You know, I have this one person on my Facebook feed who is just hardcore, absolutist. Hillary Clinton is a monster and a criminal, and she wants to destroy America and, you know, the whole the whole shebang. And I said, you know, the problem with this is that when you push that hard and you make her out to be a monster, what is the assumption and implication for anyone who supports her or votes for her or, like me, worked for her? The best case scenario is that I am a fool. The worst case scenario is that I am, you know, complicit or corrupt myself and... That's insulting. You know, like, why can't we just disagree and you have, you see things differently than me? When you paint her like that, when it becomes that Hillary Clinton is a monster, you're implying a lot about her supporters, right? And he was basically like, well, you have to live with it. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I had the wonderful opportunity to meet one of our listeners in person, despite having been connected to her for a long time, even before we started the show on social media. And we had breakfast and we were talking about lots of different things. And she said that one of her um, suggestions for our show is for me to be a little bit more boldly conservative sometimes. And I and I reflected on that and I said to her, I'm just in a weird position because Despite my viewpoints, I have found the Republican Party so distasteful for so long that I don't feel in any way defensive of it. And I don't Mm. feel in any way defensive of any individual within the party. I'm not emotionally attached. Like, I really like Paul Ryan, but I'll criticize him all day and expect you to as well. There's no one who I've mythologized to the point of thinking, I can't hear you say something negative about this person. The thing that is emotionally triggering for me, the way that you just described that kind of sense that she's a criminal, so her supporters must be swept into that, too, is 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 really that same thing. Like, because I'm a Republican, I must be ignorant, uninformed, heartless. Those when you take it to such an extreme place that it that it sweeps everybody in to some cartoonish characterization That's why people disengage entirely from the process. Well, and I don't ever want you to, I don't want either of us to dial anything because I feel like that's something that happens in the behind the scenes of CNN and Fox News. Everyone's going, hey, just dial it up a little bit more for, you know, I don't want to do that. We've been, we need to dial everything down. We're like that. What's the rock documentary where he's like, here's 11. Everybody's at an 11. Everybody take it down to like four. 
Right. Because that's the problem. That's where we're at. Like, no, I'm sorry it's more complex and gray and not as entertaining if you and I overlap a lot. But dang, isn't that better off? Aren't we better off in that scenario? In our uh, preparations for our Talk It podcast movement, I was thinking about how you. I can't think of... Politically or otherwise, I can't think of a format that is about finding agreement because you're taught early on that when you're going to create something artistic, what you need is conflict, right? That's Mm -hmm. what drives interest. But I feel, especially in politics, that what we've forgotten is that in great works of literature, you have conflict and then it resolves. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like we're using the wrong analogies. It's like the the thing we talk about with se- we we shouldn't talk about sex like baseball. Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about politics either. Maybe we're not trying to. Maybe the point isn't that one team wins and one team loses. Maybe the point is that we're all on the same dang team. Right, right. And it's about shared values, shared outcomes. Now, how do we get there? And and so I just I was so put off to just bring it back to the movie theater. I was so put off by this trailer because it felt like a new low in our politics to me. Mm. Well, hopefully that's just an, I think I feel very comfortable calling Dinesh D'Souza an outlier. (laughs) I don't know how accurate that is. Right. But I mean, but he, but he had a trailer on during a summer, like that's the mainstreaming of that bothers me enormously. Well, on that cheery note, Thanks for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We really appreciate all of your support of the show. You can go to pantsuitpoliticsshow.com to learn more about supporting the show, to check out our blog, and sign up for emails to get Pantsuit Politics delivered directly to your inbox. Oh, and I just posted, somebody, I forgot who, somebody asked for my term paper that I wrote about prostitution, and so I posted it on the blog today. But dude, I wrote that in 2002, so y'all don't judge me. (laughs) So we'll catch up with you on Facebook and Twitter. We'll give you um, on our social media more information about being in Chicago and meeting up there if you can do it, which we would love. And until Friday's episode, keep it nuanced, y'all. Bye.